The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Amen. All right. Hallelujah. Good evening. Great to be worshiping the Lord in the house of the Lord. Amen. Uh, I'm ready to get into it tonight. Tonight is fun because we get uh, the first of three uh, sermons by the Apostle Paul. How many of you would love to hear a message by the Apostle Paul? Okay, that's where we're going tonight. So let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 13 through 41. And this is Paul's message. He's going out to bring the whole gospel to the whole world. So let's bow our heads and pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. How I thank you also for specifically the book of Acts, the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and through the church, the early church. Lord, when you poured new wine uh, into the people of God, and now you've begun to bring Gentiles into the family of God. You're grafting in those from every nation, language, kindred, and tribe into the root, uh, in, into the very tree of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, Lord, we thank you that today, 2,000 years later, uh, we are both Jewish and Gentile, but we're grafted and made one new man in Messiah, in Christ Jesus. And we pray that you might pour out your Holy Spirit uh, Lord, to bring in the, the last harvest, the great harvest. Father, that you would uh, draw men, women, boys, and girls from every different kind of background. And Lord, in these dark times, times of great chaos, Lord, that they would see the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not unlike the apostle Paul, who saw a light and the Shekinah glory of God and cried out, who is it, Lord? And you responded, it is Jesus of Nazareth. And so, Lord, those who are searching for the light, searching for hope, searching for answers, Lord, that are running away from the darkness of this world, may they run into your open, amazing, gracious arms and be received by your love. And we ask all of this in Jesus' worthy and precious name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, the message, the title of the message is The Good News. So Paul's going to be preaching the gospel, and the gospel literally means good news. So my uh, top uh, you know, line here says, preach it, Paul. So we're going to listen to Paul as he preaches it. Paul actually sets a pattern that we can follow in the church to this day. So beginning... In verse 13. And we'll read verses 13 through 16. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia. And they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. 
Okay, so number one for uh, the outline, if you're following along with that, Paul teaches us how to share the good news, which we call evangelism. Everybody say evangelism. Evangelism uh, comes from evangelion, which is actually a Greek word that is in the Bible many, many times. The evangel. So that's where the, the word in, in English, evangelism, comes from, the Greek word evangelion. And so this is what Paul is now doing, and he's sharing. He's going to be sharing, as he goes into the Roman world, there was a pattern that he had. He would always go to a synagogue first. I mean, he wanted to bring the whole gospel to the whole world. But he would go to a new city, and he and Barnabas, the first thing they would do is they would find, where's the local synagogue? Where's the local Jewish people? Let's go there. And in ancient times, they had a uh, kind of a form of how the service would go. They would open with some times of prayer. They might read a psalm. Uh, then they would read some from the law, you know, the first five books of the Old Testament. Then they would have a little bit of reading, uh, maybe from the prophets. And then finally, at that point in the service, they would invite even guests who were Jewish, who were educated, that maybe would have a particular word that was on their heart, something that they wanted to share, exhort, uh, edify, or comfort. So that really, in many ways, the Jewish synagogue became the basis for later what would become the church, the ecclesia. Uh, so prayers, the reading of God's word, and then study and preaching that would come from it. Now the question, why would Paul always, this was his pattern, he would always go to the synagogue first, he would always go to the Jews first, and there's a very simple, practical reason. Because the Jewish people, you know, had already been going for 2,000 years, going back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the whole history of Israel with Moses and on through to the kings, Saul and David and the prophets. And they had all of these over 300 prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. So they were ready, they were already Jewish, wanting the Messiah to come, praying for the Messiah to come, uh, believing that the Messiah would come, they just didn't know who he was. So now the Apostle Paul is able to go, and they probably, even already, the Jewish world at that time, had heard of Jesus of Nazareth as being Jewish, and the miracles, and the signs, and the wonders, and the stories that spilled out, you know, they would spill from Jerusalem, Judea, and then make their way to the Jewish community. So they were fascinated. Oh, these are they who are affiliated with them. And, and so Paul would begin to share with them and he would begin to teach them. And in this, Paul will give kind of a panoramic view of history. But before we get into what Paul's actual message is, I wanna share with you a little bit about evangelism, where we share our faith. Literally, what Paul demonstrates here is what we call lifestyle evangelism. Okay, would you repeat that with me? Lifestyle evangelism. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that you have to be willing to share your words uh, of the gospel, the knowledge and understanding of the basic story of Jesus and how he came to die on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose from the dead. But not only do you have to be willing to use your words, you have to also live a lifestyle. So while they would spend several weeks uh, with this new city 
and going each Sabbath uh, to the local synagogue, the people would hear this new message about Yeshua of Nazareth, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, and then, you know, Saul could give, or Paul could give his own testimony. I, I was on the road to Damascus, and the brilliant Shekinah glory of God came, and out of the light, Jesus revealed himself to me and could give his testimony. And they would begin to share with them, and then some of them would believe. Now, once they got a handful or a cluster of Jewish believers, then they would begin going to the Gentile community, the Roman world, and sharing with them, and then they would be mingling them together with the Jewish believers. Because once Jewish people plugged in who the Messiah is, they already knew about prayer and fasting and the Sabbath and God's, what is right and what is wrong, the laws of God, but now they had a savior, they could be good disciplers for the Gentiles that would come into the kingdom. So evangelism is sharing the gospel, the good news, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus told them, now look, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall then become witnesses of me in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth. A witness. So every single one of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is a witness. So turn to your neighbor and say, did you know you're a witness? You're a witness. So I want to share with you three things about what it means to be a witness. Number one, the witness knows the facts and is willing to share with others. We're all called to witness our personal story, our personal relationship of you know, how you came to the Lord, how you saw the light, how you understood the power of forgiveness and the love of Jesus Christ. It should be your favorite story is your own personal testimony. And by the way, one thing I can tell you, because you know, these days people say, well, I wanna talk to the expert. Well, I can encourage you with this. You are the expert on your own life. Only you know what you saw, what you heard, what you felt, what you experienced, what it was like for you to grow up, and then how you heard the gospel and why and how you responded. You're the expert. Nobody can tell you what you thought or what you saw or what your past was. No, I, I'm the expert. It's my life. This is what happened to me. This is how I came to the Lord. It's very powerful and very beautiful. Number two. The witness is not ashamed of the gospel and is always ready to take advantage of every opportunity. Now listen, we are living in days where these are troubling times. They're chaotic times. They are, would you agree with me, stressful times? So God uses all things for his own advantage. And I believe that right now, God is using the, the stress and the chaos and the confusion to provide his children, his sons and daughters, who know him, who have experienced his grace, his healing presence, and the atmosphere of heaven itself. We are being given opportunities to share our faith with our family, with our friends. And, and so be looking for opportunities. People are very raw right now. They're very honest in some ways, vulnerable about what we're all going through together. 
So the Holy Spirit will give you opportunities, take those opportunities, and use them to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, the witness in a court of law is a person who shares what they have personally seen or heard related to the case. And then note that because there's a presentation that is being made and there's evidence that is being presented and one of the evidences is an eyewitness. An eyewitness is one of the most powerful forms of evidence in a case before a court. And by the way, guess where they have the witnesses? They place the witness literally right next to the judge. All right? We're the witnesses that Jesus, who claims to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who has the power to forgive sins, who rose from the dead, we are literally right next to the judge. We can give testimony to what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have experienced of the reality of his saving grace, his mercies that are new morning by morning. Can I hear an amen? What a beautiful privilege we have of sharing and being a witness. Now, let me just uh, also take a moment and say this. That right now, uh, we have, I think that right now there's a very important thing that about making disciples. Jesus did not just say, you know, go out and make converts. I mean, of course, we want people to hear the gospel. We want people to get saved. But Jesus didn't say, just go out and do that. That is, when you get saved, it's just the beginning. The Great Commission, the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, go make what? Disciples. Say the word, disciples. Go and make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? It comes from the word that means discipline, and it's learning the basics, the fundamentals of what it means to be a child of God. So my own experience, you know, I've shared with you guys many times that the first time I really heard the gospel clearly, I was about 10 years of age, and it was literally at a, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, uh, it was in a theater, and it was at a movie, but it was a Billy Graham movie. I didn't know who Billy Graham was. Uh, in fact, I didn't even want to go see a Billy Graham movie. I wanted to go see James, you know, James Bond or Clint Eastwood with my brothers. But my mom you know, saw that there was a Billy Graham movie and she was wanting my dad who needed to come back to the Lord and she wanted her sons to come to the Lord. She goes, oh look, you know, there's a Billy Graham film. And so we're like, who's Billy Graham? Well, he talks about God's love. And we're like, oh man, we want to see James Bond. Well, there were no James Bond movies. So um, we're like, yeah, we don't want to see that. My dad's like, yeah, you know, I, I got some more yard work for you guys. All of a sudden, we're like, we want to go see Billy Graham. Really bad. So there we are. We're sitting there. And the story revolves around a family that's going through some chaos, which our family was going through some chaos. And as always in a Billy Graham film, the family in chaos ends up being invited by somebody to go to a Billy Graham crusade. And so they're sitting in the stands and trying to eat popcorn. And there's Billy Graham preaching the gospel, you know, and, and so, man, there was Billy Graham, uh, tall, young, wavy, blonde hair, piercing blue eyes. You need Christ, well, you can be saved. If you're feeling guilty, get up now and be, come to the Lord. I'll be waiting for you right here. That was Billy Graham. You just, you know. 
And I was convicted of my 10-year-old guilty little self sins. And, and they gave an invitation. And I got up and I walked forward. And I gave my life to the Lord. As it turned out, I was the only one who responded. I was praying, begging God, send somebody else so I don't have to go alone. Nobody else got up, and so finally I got up and I went. Which is always why I'm never shy. No matter what size the audience is, if I give the gospel, I'm looking for one. All it takes is one. Why? Because I was that one, and it means eternity for me. It's worth it if one comes to the Lord. All the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner comes into the kingdom of heaven. Amen? So I get saved, and then, you know, you, you walk forward, and you filled out some little card, and I gave a name and a phone number, and next thing you know, I get called by this, you know, nice lady, and, well, we'd like to disciple you. And I'm like, what? What is a disciple, and what does that mean? And so the next thing you know, I end up getting discipled. I went through... I don't know if you've heard of this before, but how many have heard of Navigators? The Navigators Discipleship, they have these little cards that have little scriptures on them, and you take them and you memorize them. That's, they started literally discipling me. You need to know this verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. And John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So I'm memorizing scriptures, and I'm being discipled by the navigators. So I went through the navigators, I had a pack of cards, and now scriptures planted into my mind, and then I was ready for more. And they said, well, there is more. There's this ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. How many have heard of Campus Crusade for Christ? And they said, we have this, uh, where you can now go deeper into your Christian walk. It was called the 10 Basic Steps Toward Christian Maturity. So I was like, wow, more books. I can learn more stuff and get closer to Jesus. And so I went through all of that. And then there were Bible studies. So what I want to encourage you here tonight is uh, a couple of things. One, we have growth groups. I mean, it's great that you come to church or you, you know, whether you sit at home or in your apartment or wherever and you're watching online and you're hearing the Bible and you're worshiping with us and having communion with us and you're, you're engaged with the Lord. But you should also have a small group where you are being discipled. We have growth groups. If you don't have a, you know, a small group that you're part of and you would like to be, call the church office and we will get in touch with you. Our pastor, uh, Martin Sanders, will help you get connected. Or maybe you're like, well, I've got a family and I've got a couple of friends and could we start our own group? Yes, we would love to have you start your own group. But I also want to offer you this. We have another, we have a group of men. Uh, one is Kurt Hensley. Another one is Bert Morrison. And they do what's really cool, which is a short season, but it's one-on-one -on -one discipleship. There's nothing quite like it. Just to be with somebody that's older in the Lord and spiritually mature, and they literally get to focus on you at, you get to ask your questions and you get to, you know, dive deep into whatever it is that God is bringing to you and one-on-one. -on -one. Now, I'll tell you a story. And so if you're interested in that, call the church office and we will have one of them call you back and set you up for, for just a brief season of your life where you actually get discipled. 
Because coming to church, sometimes you hear things and they're kind of familiar, but there's some of it you don't connect with, you don't get, and especially you really wanting to go deep with God. Very, very important that you are disciple. Now, we have another man and his family, Tom McCollum, uh, who's been part of Maranatha for years. You know, he, he has grown children. In fact, his son just got married to a beautiful young woman who her family grew up here at Maranatha. So I did a wedding a little while ago in Poway where these two families from Maranatha, one had the son and one had the daughter and it was outdoors and it was this beautiful wedding. And the father uh, was Tom McCollum. And Tom says, you know, Pastor Ray, I have never been discipled. I've known Christ for years. And, you know, I share my faith and I consider myself somewhat of a mature believer, but I've never done discipleship or one-on-one discipleship because what I'd really like to do is to disciple others. I would like to be able, as a father, to disciple my sons, but I've never done it before. I've I've gone to church, but... So anyway, now Kurt Hensley is discipling Tom who is a mature, you know, grown man, godly man, businessman, Christian man. But Tom said, this has revolutionized my life. I am putting things together that have kind of been out here and now they're all coming together. And then now he's pouring into his son and into the daughter-in-law and now the two families coming together. And he goes, Ray, it is so exciting. We kind of got a revival going on in our family. And now the one is gonna take it to the next one and then they're gonna take it to their friends and on it goes. So does that sound exciting? So praise God. So if you would like one-on-one, discipleship call and give us your name and uh, we will get in touch with you. And even if you don't live here locally, we'll figure out a way where we can give you that kind of discipleship. I think it's very uh, powerful. Okay, so let's go back to uh, chapter 13 and verses 17 through 25. So now they've invited the visitor, uh, Paul, to preach in the synagogue and this is the beginning of his message. And verses 17 through 25 preparation for the coming of Messiah. So beginning in verse 17, he says, now the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. What he's saying is reminding them, hey, our people were slaves in Egypt, as you all would know, but man with a mighty, powerful arm, he brought them out. Now, for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. He's reminding them as Jews of their common history. Guys, remember, we blew it. We didn't believe and trust God to go into the promised land. So we had to go in circles for 40 years. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, so they finally crossed the Jordan, they go into the promised land, they conquered seven of the Canaanite nations, he distributed their land to them by allotment. And that he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony 
and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus, after John had first preached, before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. So Paul starts with, so this is kind of, it's kind of a three-part sermon, a three-point message. He begins with their common background as Jews. You'll remember that God came to our father Abraham and he made a promise of his seed and of his land. And Abraham passed that on to Isaac, who passed it on to Jacob, who had 12 sons and became Israel a nation. But then we spent 400 years down in Egypt and then God heard our cry. We said, Lord, deliver us. Deliver us from this slavery. And he heard our cry and he came down and with a great and mighty hand, it was heard throughout the world that the slaves were delivered by their God while they were able to go out into the wilderness. And then they rebelled against the Lord and they had to spin in the wilderness for 40 years, but he gave them a cloud by day. He gave them a pillar of fire by night. He gave them literally the bread of heaven called manna. And he led them in victory after victory over the seven nations. And then once they're in the land, they complained. I mean, they had, listen, they had no government, no politics, no voting. And they said, we don't like that. I mean, God was just literally divinely caring for them. And they said, we don't like that. We want to be like all the other nations. We want a king. Now, do you know why they wanted a king? Because if, they, if you get upset with God, it's hard to blame God for stuff, right? He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But if you have a man that's a king and you want to complain, you can say it's his fault. We're against the king. So it broke God's heart. But he said, okay, you're rejecting me. You want a man? I will give you a man after your own heart. And so he gave them what they wanted. Listen, be very careful. Sometimes we can demand, God, I want this, I want that, and be careful what you wish for. Sometimes God will give you or allow you to have what you thought you wanted so that once you get it, you can go, man, I made a big mistake, Dad. I should have listened to you. And that's ha what happened with them. They picked, he's tall, he's handsome, he'll look good to the other nations, Saul, the king. But Saul was selfish and he was weak and he wasn't really committed to the Lord and he disobeyed God and finally God said, I've rejected him. He goes, okay, now I'm going to give you a king. I'm going to select the king, not the people. And this time I'm going to give you a king who is after my heart. And he picked a young man, a boy really, teenager, when they, all the sons came before Samuel the prophet, and they start with the oldest, tallest, most handsome. Oh, no, not him. The next seven, you know, on down seven. Finally, he, all seven, and, and the father's like, what do you want me to do? And Samuel goes, look, I can't leave until you've got to have another son. You got anybody else? And he goes, yeah, the littlest one. David's out watching the sheep. 
He goes, you better call him. So ruddy little David means basically that he was kind of that, you know, red-headed uh, kid that, w- that came in and he's a teenager and he stands there, yeah, dad, what? And immediately the spirit of God falls on the prophet and says, anoint that boy for he is a man after my own heart. He will literally bring my fire presence and glory upon Israel, and he shall be the pattern. In fact, through that man, I will bring my Messiah through the family of David and the tribe of Judah, a man after God's own heart. Hallelujah. Amen. So now verses, um, let's look at verse 26 through 37, the rejection, crucifixion, and resurrection of the Messiah. So this is the next part of Paul's message. So he laid the foundation. This is our past. And then you guys remember David. And through the son of David will come the Messiah. So in verse 26, men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God. So there weren't just Jews in the synagogue. There were some Gentile, let's call them God-fearers, who had given up on the Greek gods a long time ago. Like Cornelius, the Roman centurion, when he was stationed in Caesarea, he said, yeah, I don't believe in the Roman gods or the Greek gods. Man, this Jewish God, the stories I hear about him. So there were some Gentiles in there as well who fear God. To you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. Now, he's filling them in. Many of them probably had never been to Israel or Jerusalem, but he says he was rejected, this Jesus of Nazareth, and he was crucified, and that's exactly what our Hebrew prophets told us would happen when the real Messiah came. Verse 28. And though they found no cause of death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Now, you're not going to hear that in any other Jewish synagogue other than through the apostle Paul, who is now describing Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, and he's telling to the shock of all those Jews in the synagogue that day, and I'm telling you, God raised this Jesus from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses. There it is. That's what we're called to be, his witnesses. What we've seen, what we've heard, what our relationship personally is with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so who are his witnesses to the people? And we declare to you glad tidings. That's what evangelism means. Good news. That promise which was made by, to our fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. He's talking about the resurrection. This would have been shocking to them, yet it's all fulfilling prophecy. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, Today I have begotten you. So now Paul is taking scripture and he's saying this is talking about the Messiah. The Messiah is the son of the living God. And the Messiah is Jesus. 
and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. And therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep. So what Paul is saying is David talked about a resurrected Messiah, but he wasn't talking about himself because David's tomb was right there in Israel. You could go and visit it. And he says, you know, David fell asleep. David died, was buried with his fathers, and therefore his body saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. So Paul launches into this beautiful story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and he says his body wasn't even in the ground long enough to decay. He was there Friday, Saturday, early Sunday morning on the third day. He was risen and resurrected from the dead. And he is the Holy One of God. He is the Savior of the world. He paid for our sins. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered the devil. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Amen? Hallelujah. He proves he is the Holy One of whom David spoke and of whom David prophesied. He wasn't talking about himself. So now, in closing, verses 38 through 41, the appeal to respond. So now, as Paul has shared all of this about the Lord and about the gospel and about now specifically the resurrection of this Jesus of Nazareth from the dead, now he gives them a powerful appeal for them to respond. So beginning in verse 38, he says, Therefore, let it be known to you my brothers, that though this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what he or what has been spoken of in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days a work which will by no means uh, believe, though one were to declare it to you. He's talking about how the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what Paul is explaining to them is they would all know that, you know, the law told us what's right, holy, and good, and then sin, where we're guilty, and where judgment falls upon us, and therefore there have to be sacrifices, but they kept having to do sacrifices over and over and over again. And what it showed is that the blood of animals could not really take away the sins of men. It only, it was an atonement, and the Hebrew word atonement means it covered it. It covered over their sins so that they would not be judged. So how were they forgiven and saved? Because through the sacrifices, let's say like a lamb, what they were saying is, I believe that ultimately, God, you will make the ultimate sacrifice that eternally pays for my sins. In a way, for 2,000 years, from Abraham until the coming of Messiah, their faith was looking forward to the lamb of God who would come and die and shed his blood, the sinless, 
holy, pure, unblemished lamb of God, but his blood would pay for our sins, not just cover over them, but they would literally be expunged. They would be erased. They would be washed. And we would be cleansed. We would literally be no longer guilty, but we would be justified, which means just as if I'd never sinned. That God can erase all of our sins and the record of our wrongs and give to us the character even of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen, hallelujah to that? Woo, Jesus has come washed us and cleansed us and paid for our sins for all time and for all of eternity. Oh, what a powerful, precious gift. Because when you were under the law and you're constantly doing sacrifices and doing all of these things, you never really felt like you could rest or you could relax or it was going to be waiting for the next sacrifice or the next thing, time that I blew it. But now with the blood of the Lamb of God, with the blood of the Messiah, with the Lord Jesus and his payment for sins. And then the beauty of the resurrection, that now Paul was able to testify as an eyewitness, Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. He conquered death, meaning he conquered sin and guilt and shame, and you can be forgiven and have eternal life if you will believe and trust in him. And there were some of those Jews who were there, they're going, I get it, I can connect the dots, it all makes sense, and they would bow their head, and they would pray and believe in Jesus, Yeshua, who is the son of David, who died on the cross but rose from the dead, wash my heart, cleanse me, forgive me, fill me with your spirit, and they would be saved, and they would be born again, and they would be brought into the family of God. And then Paul and Barnabas would spend a few weeks with them, if they could, discipling them, teaching them, encouraging them, laying hands upon them, praying for them, healing them, blessing them in whatever way. And then they would go on and start another Go to a new town and start all over again. So look at me, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. When I bring these next two scriptures, these are two of those scriptures that I can remember uh, being a very young man and a little card about, you know, that tall and about that wide with these scriptures on them. Romans 3, 23. Let's read it out loud together. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. For all have sinned. Many people have this concept that, you know, yeah, one day maybe I'll stand before God and I'll say, well, they'll try to balance my good deeds with my bad deeds. I, yeah, I was bad, but there are a lot of people worse than me and I did do some good things. <laughs> and the point is, you, you don't get into heaven on, you, God doesn't grade on the curve. <laughs> only perfection, only purity, only holiness. There's no sin, even a smidge, allowed in heaven. Otherwise, it wouldn't be heaven. Amen? So there is no sin there. So that means only the sinless can go to heaven to keep it holy. And you say, well then, who do I compare myself to if I don't compare myself to all the other bad people that are worse than me? You have to compare yourself to Jesus Christ. Wow, what do you mean? Of course I'm not as righteous as he is, and you're in trouble. <laughs> because you can't get into heaven. For all have sinned and fallen short 
of the glory of God. Now, look with me at the next one. This is another one of those scriptures I got a card on and was memorized and buried in my mind and heart from the navigators. Let's read it out loud. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin pays wages, and the wages it pays is death. And then death in sin means separation from God for eternity. The wages of sin is death. But if you believe and trust in Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in your place, paid for your sins and your shame and your guilt, you can be given the gift of eternal life. He gives you his righteousness. It's basically a trade. Jesus says, give me all your impurity, all your sin, all of your failure, all of your brokenness. I'll take that upon the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He took that, but because he was holy, death couldn't hold on to him. And on the third day, like Samson, he broke the chains of sin and death because the payment for sin was death. So Jesus said, okay, I'll die. But because I'm God and I'm holy, I'm gonna be raised. The Lord raised him from the dead and now death has no more power over him. Sin has no more power over us, nor guilt, nor shame. And therefore he can give to us the gift of eternal life forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? So I want everybody to stand up. And one more scripture that I want to read to you, and then I'm going to give an invitation, even if there's one person here tonight or watching, sitting outside or in your home or apartment or in another state or country, wherever you are, listening to the radio, a very simple prayer of salvation, eternal salvation. But we got to read this. This is Revelation 3.20. It is Jesus' own words. Let's read it out loud. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, let me explain to you what Jesus is saying. And this is how we're using it here. Jesus uh, is with you. Um, he, you know, you have, he's the creator. So you're made in his image. But because of sin, we're separated from him. But he's with you. He's always been with you and he loves you. But salvation is not just when he's with you on the outside. But there must come a definite moment or time in your life where you ask him to come inside. And the reason you ask him to come inside is you were never meant to live alone in your own head, in your own strength, with your own trying to balance all of the craziness of life. And so you, you have to admit, I am broken, I am lost, I, I have said things, I've done things, I wish I hadn't said, I have regrets. And I am sorry. And now, but here's, the, here's something very powerful. Um, God has given to us a heart and a will, and you can keep him outside forever if you want. He will never, no one will be in heaven that didn't want to go. Only those who want to go. Now, if you want to go, you can go. But if you want to go, you got to have him in you to wash and cleanse. And he said, but then you and me, your spirit, my spirit become one. I, for, I will forgive, I'll wipe it all out. 
Believe me, his blood is able to do that. Not only to erase the, the sins and the failures and mistakes, he doesn't just erase them, but he, he literally blots it out. It's as if it had never been recorded in the first place. I mean, it's so beautiful and precious and powerful. And then he says, you and me are one. You were meant uh, to be one with the Lord. He has an eternal future and hope for you. So bow your heads and close your eyes. And we're going to give an opportunity. I'm going to say a very simple childlike prayer. He says, if you let me in and you ask forgiveness, I will forgive you. I'll fill you with my spirit. I'll give you eternal life. And I promise I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And he will take you all the way into eternity. So if there's anybody here that's never done this before, this is receiving the gift called salvation. And maybe you need or want to recommit your life. Maybe you grew up in the church or you went to Sunday school or catechism or you got baptized at one time, but then you kind of went away and you don't really know where you stand with him or where he is. But obviously you've been on a journey that has brought you back to hear a message like tonight. And you're like, you know what? I want to make sure and I want to recommit my life. So you can either recommit your life or it could be for the first time. I'm going to lead us in a very simple childlike prayer. And I'm going to ask anybody, everybody really, that knows the Lord, you're more than willing to pray along with us. It's not that you get saved again. But it's like remembering, like a couple renewing their vows. It becomes more precious as time goes on, the, the meaning of it, the depth of it. But anyway, if you're ready uh, and if you're willing, I want you to pray this prayer out loud after me. Dear Lord, I admit that I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I am so sorry for everything I've done wrong. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. Now help me follow you, Jesus, all the way to heaven until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome into the family. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.